0: This summer, there's only one trusted place that lets you get in on all your favorite sports betting action, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% off welcome bonus. Or text Bet Now to 238 That's B-E-T-N-O-W to 238 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines this summer. From Major League Baseball to the Women's World Cup and all things US. BetOnline.ag has you covered. Visit BetOnline.ag. And don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST1. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life. And now it comes in two great tropical flavors, Strawberry Banana and Tropical Burst. They're delicious and can transport you to a tropical paradise. Try them both, then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com. You could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20.
2: Terms apply. See www.5hewin.com for details. He's Billy Bob Thornton. He stars in season three of the legal drama Goliath which begins on Amazon Prime tomorrow. That'll be October 4th. So you play a down-and-out lawyer. Are you still down-and-out in Season 3?
3: I'm kind of always down-and-out, yeah. Uh, it's uh, You know, I have money, but it doesn't stop the alcoholism and that kind of thing.
2: But uh, is any of this, like, do you draw from anything, like this character? Were you this character at any point in your life?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I—that's—I've I, I, told people before, actually, that it's probably the closest to playing myself that I've ever done, you know. And uh, yeah, he's just kind of a guy, you know. Even though he was operated in the big, uh, you know, uh, sort of law field and everything for a while, because he was, you know, he was at one point a partner in a huge thing, kind of lost his career and all that kind of thing, but. Um, when I go there every day, I mean, I, I just feel like the things are happening to me. You know, I, I don't. Well, you look comfortable
2: feel... going to the bar not your office yeah. is the bar. Yeah. You look comfortable there.
3: And the thing about it is we shoot the that bar is called Shay Jay. Yeah, not, I've been you there. Know, you've been there. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's a, yeah. Uh, kind of an institution. Yes. And I started going there in the 80s. Um, so it's kind of odd to be in there because I know it so well. <laughs> and, uh it's it's actually helped the place out. I mean the, the guy who runs it, uh Mike, he
2: said uh that
3: a lot of people are you know, a lot of tourists come in there now just to have a
2: drink. But did you have any good me- I mean bad memories, bad times in Shay
3: I had bad times just about everywhere. <laughs> uh and uh It sounds like a country song. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh no I I remember uh because in the 80s, I was, you know, I worked as an actor and, and played a little music and stuff in the 80s. But um, I wasn't exactly what you'd call wealthy back in those days. I, I, I In my memory, the first time I went in, Shay uh, J, was with Nick Nolte. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, there used to be a big hangout. They have pictures on the wall, of like, you know, Robert Mitchum and Steve McQueen. You know, a lot of people who went in there over the years. Uh, we shoot. Mostly the exteriors down there because uh, it's not big enough really to get a lot of cameras in there. So we've shot inside a few times, but mostly on stage. And they recreated it, and it looks you you walk in the set and it's like JJ.
2: It's weird. I'm imagining that if you go in with Nolte, by the time you come out, it's probably daylight uh, in some of those situations, right? Yeah,
3: I've been in a few of those. And, <clears throat> and he was
2: probably situations. pretty famous at the time that oh, yeah, you were hanging yeah. with him.
3: Oh sure, yeah, yeah, but. Uh, you know, the, I I just remember him being there that that one time, and uh, after that, I started going there. You know, off and on. Yeah, I mean, if you're down in that area, that's kind of a good good spot
2: to go. I go to Big Dean's. At the, have you been to Big Dean's in Santa Monica Pier? Uh, well, you might have you. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you you might have you just you just didn't yeah. know it. Uh, we were we were yeah. watching uh, uh, Tombstone. Right, and you are unrecognizable in Tombstone. Right, you look like you're fifty pounds more.
3: Probably so, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I used to gain weight for movies, but I, I haven't done it in a long time. I, I, that's back. You know, when you're coming up, you think I'm going to be, you know, the renegade actor, and if I'm playing a street person, I'm going to go live on the street (laughs) and not take a shower and all that kind of thing. And and then as you become a veteran you start to get as comfortable as you can. It's like people always want me to go camping with them, uh, you know. And I'm like, you know, I I, I don't want to go camping because I, I grew up in the woods in Arkansas, so I camped for like 20 years already. And I, I had no choice. And uh, so... When I, I remember first being out in California, and people would say, "Hey, let's go! Uh, you know, we're going to go camping and fishing and stuff," I'm like, "How's this? You guys go camping, I'll be at the Four Seasons, you know, and I'll you know, I'll come fish with you. But then at night, I'm not I'm not staying out there. I bit my mosquitoes and all that."
2: But do you think De Niro ruined it for everybody because he? Be- he became the part, or you know, you look at these guys, Daniel Day Lewis right. or Christian Bale, like you got to lose, you know, a hundred pounds, and you got to gain, right. you know, exactly. Jake LaMotta with sure. De Niro.
3: Yeah, that's one of the first ones I remember was when De Niro did that, and uh, uh, which is great, you know, terrific movie and uh, all that. So yeah, I, I think maybe he was one of the first guys who did, who went that far with it. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm not. I, I don't know. I've been doing it too long now to want to learn how to eat soup with my foot. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
2: what, what is the role you almost didn't take?
3: Well, actually, there were two that I can recall that uh, if I hadn't taken them, it would have been a big mistake. Uh, I almost didn't do Monsters Ball. Wow. And I almost didn't do Bad Santa. And my manager, who's with me today, Guyer, told me on both occasions, you're going to do these movies. And uh, I I didn't want to do Monstrous Ball because it kind of seemed like a, uh, um, I mean, just in the brief description at first look at the script, it's like, why would I want to play a racist prison guard? Because, you know, it's like being from the South anyway and all that kind of stuff. And it took place down there. And he said, "Read it again." And I read it again. I said, "Yeah, you're right." Um, you know, to look at it in a more artistic way and see, you know, how the the character was really more sympathetic than you might see yeah. on the surface. And then Bad Santa, he's he's
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he uh. There's he said, some
2: messed up stuff in Bad Santa. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, he
3: t- he told me all about it, and he actually said to me. Uh, before I read it, he said, "This is either like a horrible idea or an amazing idea." And uh, well,
2: Will Ferrell said that about Elf. Yeah, he said, "This might be the death of my career if I do this." Right. And now, I mean, oh, it,
3: yeah, they're both like perennial favorites, yes. as they say. Yeah. Yes.
2: Are you going to do, do another Bad Santa? Uh,
3: the, we did a second one in uh, uh, up in Montreal, uh, where we were actually in. Christmassy kind of uh, stuff, because the other one was like in Arizona, you know, which is (laughs) hilarious. And uh, so, uh, like they had cactuses up by the kids and everything. But uh, uh, the second we did, uh, Kathy Bates played my mom, and uh, it's pretty funny if you didn't see it. I mean, the reason I think uh, the second one didn't do as well as the first one. I mean, the first one became you know like iconic, but the second one, I think, when you're trying to recreate something you know it's hard enough with critics anyway in other words they they already have an opinion about it before you even make the movie
2: and so i cringe at sequels yeah yeah i usually I get do. nervous about it because i, I love I you know that's why when you saw uh you know anchorman Right. And I got nervous about the Anchorman two. I yeah. mean it, it's still okay, but it's yeah. just we love the original because it, it's something we'd never seen before. That's right.
3: I, I think I think that's part of it is the newness is worn off of it, you know, for the second one. And but I have to say the second Bad Santa was really good. I mean I liked it. Yeah. And uh, but it was at a time when uh, uh and though this was something that somebody explained to me. I don't know. I'm not much on market research. But uh, uh, they were saying that because the movie came out almost in conjunction with the president being elected or going through that process, you know, the the election process, and people were not in the mood for crass, uh, uh, you know, situations and language and, you know, a, a guy who's like this, you know, Drunk, profane guy, or whatever you know, yeah. And that uh, it's when it's when political correctness was sort of at its height, you know, and and so uh, that was the explanation that I was given.
2: We're talking to Billy Bob Thornton it's season three of the legal drama Goliath, which begins on Amazon Prime uh, coming up tomorrow. That's uh, October fourth. He uh, plays a down and out lawyer as he seeks redemption. You're still seeking redemption. Oh yeah, you'll never yeah. stop seeking redemption.
3: Probably not.
2: Do you yeah. ever, do uh, actors drink alcohol in scenes without, like, have you ever done that? That Does it help you?
3: Uh, I don't on this show, uh, but I have. Has it? Uh, <laughs> Bad Santa, <laughs> as a <matter> of <laughs> 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 Yeah.
2: And did it help? Uh, yo, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, or, so, or so you thought it did, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, in your mind, you go, I was funny, wasn't I? And yeah. Sometimes somebody steps away and goes, no, you drunk. Not on that were, one. They,
3: they liked it on that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, And not every day, obviously, but there, there were a couple times when I had one, one or two. Uh, and uh, there's a scene in Bad Santa on, on an escalator. And I remember that day, I, I, I'd kind of overdone it. <laughs> did, did,
2: did, did you have somebody there to catch you in case you fell?
3: Well, there was this, this poor girl. She was a, a um, like, a, what do you call it, a PA. A runner or whatever. And she was in charge of starting the key on the escalator when they rolled. Because the idea is the Tony, uh, uh, you know, plays the elf and all yeah. that, um, he's waiting for me and I'm late and all this kind of stuff. And I end up with a broken liquor bottle in my hand at the top of the escalator. It kind of dumps me out up there. And I said to the girl, because this was in the morning, <laughs> and uh, so as soon as I got to work, I... Went to work. Went to work. (laughs) And so uh, I told her, I said, uh, look, I'm on the verge of maybe passing out here. And uh, so if you don't mind, uh, just nudge me when they call action, will you? Because I'm going to lay down here for a minute. (laughs) I wasn't supposed to be laying down the scene. And uh, they started up the escalator, and she couldn't wake me up, evidently. And uh, so it kind of dumped me out up there, and I woke up and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'm in this, I'm in this movie, you know." And uh, so I stumbled up there and I beat up this plaster jackass and all this kind of stuff in the scene. And yeah, it worked out nicely.
2: Did that make the final cut?
3: I think so. I mean I, I, I know a, I know a lot of it did. Yeah. I don't remember if they used the one where I'm standing on the escalator or the one where I'm laying down, but the part where I got up there where the jackass was i I know that yeah that's in all in there
2: are you uh, uh, are you still a colts fan?
3: yes uh yes I am,
2: but more of a cardinals fan
3: cardinals, yeah, that's I mean I'm a baseball guy I've even got my uh cardinal little pendant thing on me right now. Have you
2: thrown out the first pitch?
3: I have a couple times. The the most nerve wracking one was when because uh, I was a pitcher, and I grew up as a pitcher. Okay, and uh, you know, and through high school and into the senior Babe Ruth and you know American Legion, and all that kind of stuff. And I actually had a tryout with the Kansas City Royals and got my collarbone broken at their camp. And uh, I was a junk pitcher. It's pretty good. And Tony Larusa La and all those guys, they knew that. And that my hero was Bob Gibson. Ooh. and uh so in 98 it was the year Maguire hit 70 home runs and all that, uh and i knew a bunch of those guys i was down in the clubhouse before the game and uh i was going to throw out the first pitch uh they were playing the braves and uh so i was taking a picture with mcguire and tony and somebody else was down there i can't remember who and um They're going to take a picture of us. Well, Gibson shows up, and uh, he gets in the (laughs) picture with us. And Tony said, Bob, you're the guy's hero. Why don't you catch the ball for him today? And then it's like, oh, good. (laughs) So now, see, if they know you're a a pitcher or a player at all, you can't do like a politician and kind of
2: roll it on the grass or whatever. And you got to go up to the mound through the rubber. Oh, yeah.
3: And so here's Gibson catching the thing. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to throw him a slider. (laughs) and just see if it works out, because that was one of my best pitches. And uh, I had learned my slider out of an instructional book he had in the 60s that showed you, it was like the Bob Gibson book. You can get this thing. It it looked like a coloring book almost. It was like a paper book, and I had it and learned all my pitches out of that book. And uh, so I threw him the slider, and it was about probably, you know, six inches off the plate. It was a real good one. Yeah. And uh, he walks out <laughs> to the mound and hands me the ball back. And he looked at me. He goes, man, that's a damn good slider. <laughs> he goes, where'd you get that? And I said, out of your book. He said, my book. And I said, yeah, you know, the one where it told all your pitches. He goes, oh, that thing. Like he'd almost forgotten about it, you know. And uh, so it was a nice moment. And because, you know, Bob wasn't always known for being like, He had a reputation as not being a warm guy, you know. Well, he pitched that way. Right. He sure pitched that way. And, but after, after I threw him that pitch that day, I had several conversations afterward with him about he loved blues music and all that kind of thing. And so we would talk about that. And, uh, he told me stories about he and Hank Aaron, you know, and all this kind of thing. It was really nice.
2: It's great to see you. Love the show. Uh, it's uh, Goliath. It's season three. It starts tomorrow on Amazon Prime. Uh,
5: great to see you, Bill. You too. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks for having
2: me. We'll take a break here. We're back here on the Dan Patrick Show
5: after this. Everybody's got a to-do list. I get one from my wife, drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk, figure out something to get out of the house so I can relax. Here's an idea. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. The good thing, you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Do you like extra money in your pocket? Do you like not having to drive somewhere to pick something up? This is a way to do it. It just may be the most rewarding thing on your to-do list today. That's geico.com. Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy
1: on-the-go life.
2: I mentioned uh, ESPN. We had uh, Brian Greasy on. Brian was uh, on the call on the Mississippi State-Alabama game with Steve Levy. Uh, Molly McGrath was the sideline reporter. And once you realize that this is a big story, that's when her job really begins. Because now you're finding out, you know, is the potential number one pick in the draft going to play football again? And uh, I asked Fritzi, I said, would you reach out to ESPN see if we could get Molly on? Because I thought she did a great job, and uh, Molly joins us now. Molly, thanks for joining us. Where were you when Tua first went down with that injury?
6: Thank you so much for having me on, Dan. Um, I was actually on Alabama's sideline when he went down with the injury. Uh, I was standing kind of next to Alabama's coaching box on the sideline, and I watched just a series of events unfold as I saw Mac Jones, the backup, warming up to go into the game. I saw the team huddle right in front of me with Tua in the middle and Mac Jones kind of on the periphery, and then Nick Saban comes in. Tua talks to Nick Saban, and I see Mac Jones go back onto the sideline and leave the huddle. So in that moment, mm. I kind of I alerted my producer. I said, I don't think Mac Jones is going in. It looks like Tua is staying. Mac Jones is back on the sideline. And then, of course, we see Tua go out onto the field, and then that tragic accident, that, that freak injury happened. So I was on Alabama's sideline witnessing that. Tua went down closer to the Mississippi State sideline. So I crossed over to the other side of the field to just get a better vantage point, to get closer, to try to hear what the trainers were saying to him. To look into Tua's eyes, see the pain that he was in, and just try to figure out what is the injury. The first thing and the only thing I knew at that moment was that he had no weight on that right leg, and of course he had just had surgery weeks ago on his right ankle. So that was of the biggest concern.
2: What did you see and hear from Tua?
6: Um, in, in that moment, um, I saw a ton of pain. He was um Is he saying anything? From I couldn't hear what he was saying. They were talking really closely to him. I had to give enough space, right, to to give a little – to give respect and to give enough space so that they can do their job. So I was on the sideline part. I wasn't on the field. Um, But I could hear them, you know, talking very closely to him. His face was bleeding. His nose was bleeding. And there was concern at first, like, what's going on with his face? Why is he bleeding from his face? And he had, um, you know, a towel covering his face. And they kept that on his face longer than needed. And I could see it was because he was crying, because he was kind of bawling in pain. So I knew that he was in serious pain. And they lift him up, they put him on the cart, and the cart just goes straight down the field. And I knew that it was crucial that i be there for when they take him off the cart, because I needed to see how he got off the cart. If he was able to put weight on his right leg or the right side of his body, or if he had to be carried So the cart goes down the field, and I sprinted the length of the field from the 10 through the other end zone, (laughs) basically, on the field past Joe Moorhead, who I heard say something like, whoa, (laughs) sorry, coach, as I run the length of the field, go into that that tunnel that led to the X-ray room, and that was the crucial moment that I witnessed where he couldn't get off of the cart on his own. Medical training staff had to pick him up and carry him almost like a child And when they picked him up, that's when he was screaming in pain, and then they brought him into the x-ray room. And I got from a, a source close with the team that it was his hip, not his ankle. So it was amazing to get all of that so quickly so that we went to break with the Tua injury. We were able to come back right away with the news that it was his hip. That he's in an, ex- an extreme amount of pain and that he's going for X-rays.
2: Yeah, and you gotta you gotta grab what you can grab, but you gotta be fair to the situation. You can't speculate, uh, you know. Be, so be when they when they're gonna throw it down to you, you go. I I think he may have. It's got to be. I'm being told, and mm-hmm. you know, you got like three or four minutes to kind of cobble all this together and then go on live TV with an injury that you know could affect uh, Alabama's entire season. So that's why I, I marvel at that because you're trying to find this out in real time and you know just trying to figure out because there's chaos there and then even the Alabama yeah. people don't know exactly they took him to Mississippi state's end of the, the the stadium that's when I knew they probably have you know their better medical facilities down there or more medical facilities that's the one thing I thought in the moment it's really really serious if they were headed there maybe that didn't factor in Molly but I did think that when I saw that they were taking him in that direction.
6: Yeah. Well, I knew that there was an x-ray room through that tunnel. um, And I knew that they were going on the other side of the tunnel is an ambulance. So that was the first thing. Okay. They're taking him to an x-ray room. They're probably going to take him to an ambulance this time around. And I covered to his first injury this season, his right ankle injury against Tennessee and, um, You know, I had heard rumblings that he was leaving in an ambulance during that game. And I ran outside of the stadium and did circles on the periphery of the stadium looking for his ambulance. So I wasn't going to let that happen again. Um, So we had eyes on the ambulance. We had eyes on the x-ray room, obviously um, wanting to be respectful and give space to the athlete, but also wanting to answer questions that people have about one of the most important players in college football. You know, time is of the essence in these things, and people at home are wondering what happened. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was crucial that I be there in that tunnel, that I see what I saw when they had to lift him up off of the cart, and that I got the information that it was his hip, not his ankle. I think that was the most important news of the day. And Nick Saban confirmed it right after in my interview with him, um, that it was a hip injury. I think that took everyone by surprise. And, you know, all this is happening, I'm like, trying to calm myself down as I get all of this information, trying to put it together in my head, telling my producer, you can come back to me out of break. I have, I have information I can give. And then trying to calm myself down so I can interview one of the greatest coaches um, of my time, you know, to interview Nick Saban and ask him some really tough questions. And you could just see the, the despair on his face when I was talking to him. That was a really, a really tough interview, but I think Nick, Nick handled it really well.
2: We're talking to Molly McGrath, ESPN college football, college basketball sideline reporter. Uh, when did you decide what you were going to ask Saban in those always difficult, you know, ending the half, uh, you know, coming off the field?
6: Yeah. So before Tua's injury, the question in my mind was when are you going to take two out? Like, are we going to see him at all in the second half? Mm. After the injury, of course, everything changed and, um, I've, I've worked with Nick Saban before. I believe I have a good rapport with him, and he is very respectful when you ask the right questions, and I've had great interactions with him. So I knew that I needed it's, – it's, I, I said this to um, John Walters with The Athletic. It's the same thing that coaches say. You need to know your personnel. I'm going to ask questions differently to Nick Saban than I would to Mike Leach and then I would to Tom Izzo. So I knew for Nick Saban, my first question had to be something broad where I could let him give me what he had. So it was something to the effect of what can you tell us about Tua? Because in the past with his right ankle injury, when I asked a question like that, he gave me a good amount of information. When you give him the floor, he'll be honest. So he gave information that it was the right hip. They don't know how serious it is, but it could be serious. And then the follow-up was the tricky part. Um, And I talked to my producer, you know, beforehand, and he said, are you going to ask him why he left Tua in? Mm. And I said, yes, but I'm going to frame it differently because you don't want to put a coach on the defensive at halftime, especially after such an emotional moment. And you could see kind of the shock on Nick's face and watching it back, you know, you could see how upset he was. So I'm glad I didn't ask him a question that would make him feel defensive. Instead, I used what I saw on the field and what we – put in our broadcast to support my question. I said, you know, we saw Mac Jones warming up. Did Tua lobby to stay in? And that was my way of asking, whose decision was it to keep Tua in the game? Mm. Yeah, and I applaud
2: you for that because that was, that was the tough, that's the money question right there. That's as tough as it gets in our business where he's just lost a transcendent player and has no idea the severity and he wants to go in and regroup and check on Tua, and your job is to stare it down and ask two questions and let him go. So I applaud you on that, Maul. That was great stuff and uh, continued success, and we appreciate your time.
6: Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and hi to the Danettes.
2: All right, Molly McGrath, and how about that? A shout-out to the Danettes. So now even higher on our list. She's been a fan of you guys, not of mine, but of you guys for years. She's getting to know you. <laughs> yeah, she's. And, 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 uh. It's a story we've heard a thousand times yeah, over I the know. years, Dan. Yeah. And, uh, to you, Dave Patrick, uh, really admire your body of work, but say hello to the Danettes there. Yeah. That's
1: about as against the grain as you can get to give a shout <laughs> out to us and calmly thank you for being on.
2: That's the shirt. last time we'll have Molly McGrath <laughs> on. That's all. don't if we have anything say. to say about it. <laughs> Of course not.
5: If you're like me and you want to play sports until you're really old, you want to play basketball every Saturday morning, then let me tell you about Theragun. It's a handheld, battery-operated, professional-grade percussive therapy device that helps to alleviate pain, improve mobility, and enhance performance. The Theragun is an easy-to-use, handheld device that helps relieve tension and increase blood flow. Theragun percussive therapy is unlike any massage device you've ever tried. Designed by a chiropractor, it's therapeutic for all body types. It can treat every part of the body. I use it to help with my hip injury. Trust me, it's awesome. After using the Theragun, I feel like my whole body's relaxed. I'm feeling pain-free. Even after like really tough games or really tough workouts, it relieves muscle soreness. It's great. Here are some of the general benefits. It's relief from muscle tension, soreness, stiffness, and knots. It increases blood flow. It improves range of motion, which is a big deal. Accelerates recovery, activates muscles, improves muscle coordination, body energizing. Uh, it's great to enhance performance and avoid injury. You got to try it out. Theragun.com slash show Again, Theragun.com slash show You'll love it.
0: Hey, listeners, just wanted to take a minute to thank all our great sponsors and all of you great listeners for supporting this podcast. We certainly couldn't do it without either of you. And I wanted to remind you that you can support our sponsors by going to our show page at podcast1.com. Clicking on the Support This Podcast button, and there you will see all our wonderful sponsors that help make this show possible. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, and of course, supporting. And now, back to the show.
1: Five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy, on-the-go life. And now it comes in two great tropical flavors, Strawberry Banana and Tropical Burst. They're delicious and can transport you to... A tropical paradise. Try them both. Then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com. You could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20. Terms
2: apply. See www.5hewin.com for details. Uh, Charles Barkley joining us, the TNT inside the NBA studio analyst and, of course, Hall of Famer. Hi, Charles. How are you today?
4: I'm good, brother. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing okay. How's the off How's the offseason?
4: The off season has been fantastic. It's kinda of sick and coming to an end. Uh, but I've had a great summer. I love downtown, a lot of golf, a lot of fishing. I'm on cloud nine right now. But I'm ready for the season.
2: How surprised are you they're playing basketball in China this morning?
4: I'm not surprised. They got billions of dollars at stake. Um, and I, I didn't say millions, I said billions. They have billions of dollars at stake. Uh it's a business decision. I understand the NBA. Uh, the players, the players, and the owners both got billions of dollars at stake. Uh, I think it's easy for these Monday morning quarterbacks to play, "Well, these guys should do this, and do that." That's because it's not their money. Uh, the NBA makes billions of dollars uh, in China, uh, and that goes to the owners and the players. Uh, so it's a business decision, and uh, I-, I totally understand it.
2: If you were in LeBron's shoes. Would you say anything? Lay low.
4: I think it, I think as a player, it's a lose lose situation. You can't control what goes on in another country. I think it's totally. You know, the thing is really funny. All these idiots and jackasses and the fools are radio right on television Some of These players should do that. These you are know, the same people who've been hating on Colin Kaepernick for the last few years, and that's in another country. So. Uh, I I find it hilarious listening to all these idiot fools and jackasses on radio and TV talking about. Well, these parents should stand up. First of all, you guys been killing Colin Kaepernick for the last x amount of years. Now all of a sudden, y'all want to control what happens in a foreign country. Give me a break, please.
2: I thought that what was interesting is we haven't heard anything from China as far as Adam Silver or anybody else. Like, this is a good thing. You, you just want to get these games over with, get out, and then hopefully you can repair things. So uh, what do you think of uh, the job Adam Silver has done so far?
4: Well, Adam Silver works for the owners uh, and kind of works for the players. Like I said, Dan, this is billions and billions of dollars. Like I said, I I, I I find it funny. Everybody's talking about let's make this moral stand. You know what? It does not feel billions of dollars. It's easy for somebody to make a stand where they don't have any scan in the game. Listen, Adam Seven works for the owners and the players. I'm going to repeat this for the last time. <laughs> We're talking billions of dollars, billions of dollars. So uh, I totally understand it. Uh, it's an it's a awful situation. Uh, but this is China. This is not the United States. But all these guys out here want to pick the moral high ground, uh, like I said, these are the same people who've been hating on Colin Kaepernick. Uh, for the, they don't care what happens in the United States. All of a sudden, they want to know what happens. To, they want, let's make a stand on what happens in China. So uh, I just sit back and just laugh at all these fools.
2: Can Zion Williamson live up to the expectations, the hype this year?
4: Well, man, he's the number one pick in the draft. Uh, any number one draft pick, is uh, under a, a tremendous uh, pressure. Uh, I think he's a, a really, really talented kid. I think he's in great hands with Alvin Gentry uh, and David Griffin. He's a, he seems like a really nice kid, too. But, you know, it, those are the expectations when you're the number one pick in the draft. Uh, I, I'm just going to have fun sitting back, watching. Like I said, he seems really talented and he seems like a nice kid. And it's great for the NBA, Uh, if he's successful.
2: I was watching uh, the ESPN pregame show last night, and they used the comparison because we always have to compare somebody. And they used you and Dominique Wilkins for Zion Williamson, a hybrid of you two. What do you think of that comparison?
4: Well, it's not fair to compare him to me. Uh, He's not nearly as good as I was in my heyday. Uh, He's really talented. He hasn't even played an official NBA game yet. And Dominique's in the Hall of Fame also. But listen, I think it's. I I, I love the kid. I wish him nothing but the best. But it's disrespectful to compare. Like I said, he's me already. I mean, dude, I I, I've been in the hall. I'm in the hall of fame, and I was a hall of player. But to 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 compare him to me and Dominique, two guys who were great players in the hall of fame, uh, that's not fair to him, and it's not fair to me and Dominique, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, I I think that people are going to be a little bit surprised and maybe a little bit disappointed when they watch Zion and the numbers that he puts up. Because I said if he could put up the numbers that Julius Randle put up for this team last year, I'd be thrilled. If you said he went 21-10, I'd be thrilled with that. Uh, I think that we think he's going to have these monster nights, and he might. But I, I just don't think that the you know, the NBA is different than you know playing an ACC schedule like he did at Duke. Uh, you got some grown men in there, uh, and he's going to have to be able to shoot the jumper. I love, I love. He's a good team player, got a great feel for the game, passes the ball well. I just don't want people to go only, only average seventeen and nine this year.
4: Dan, first of all, that was a really great point that you made. I said, no yeah, man, let the guy play. Uh, you know, because we don't have, and I don't mean any disrespect when I say we don't have a Clemson an NC State in the NBA. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we like, even if, I, I'm trying to think, I don't think there's any bad teams in the West. I mean, I think the West is the best it's ever been. So I, I just want to see the kid play. I hope he's great, because I think it will be great for the NBA. But I got no idea that, like, the West is a crazy, man. I, I don't know what he's going to do. But Like I say, I got great faith in Alvin Gentry uh, and David Griffin. Like I say, he seems like a great kid. Well, let's just let this thing play out. I mean, I don't think they're a playoff team uh, by any stretch of imagination. Uh, but, man, the West is just going to be fun to watch. And I can't wait for the season to get started in a couple weeks. You think
2: that they should look into reseeding when you get to the playoffs that, you know, take out the East and West?
4: You know, that's a great question. Um, that's a great question. Well, listen, uh, Milwaukee and Philly, uh, I, I think Milwaukee and Philly are the best two teams in the East with Boston kind of a, a, a third. But in the West, I got zero idea who's going to win the West. You know, I don't know how. Uh, you know, obviously LeBron and AD they got to be fantastic. I don't know what Kawhi going to do with load management, and Paul uh, George got to come back. You know, Denver and Utah are terrific. You got Portland. I hope mean, they got to the Rockets. That's going to be fascinating to watch James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I mean, the Spurs are going to be. Listen, the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Have got, a, got a good team. I, I think. The, I, For the first time in a long time, Dan, I cannot wait for the NBA to start. Because, man, there's some great storylines out there. Uh, There's some really great storylines in the West. I cannot wait for the season to start.
2: What's your biggest concern with the Lakers?
4: Uh, uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron's health. Uh, You know, LeBron's older. Uh, You know, he's not in the East anymore. Like, he don't get those easy, you know, he used to get 30 or 40 easy games a year. He won't get that in the West. You saw last year, if he missed any time, they're not going to make the playoffs. And Anthony Davis has got to prove he can stay healthy. Uh, those are my two biggest concerns uh, with the Lakers, LeBron's health and AD's health. But like I say, uh, with Kawhi, you know, he loaded management uh, 22 games last year. He can't load management in the West. If he missed 22 games in the West, the Clippers were well, I'm not even sure they would make the playoff if he missed 22 games.
2: Talking to Charles Barkley inside the NBA TNT studio analyst. Can you explain this beef between Shaq and Damian
4: Lillard? Well, uh, Shaq, got thinner skin and flat styling. <laughs> you, you know, he can't, he, uh, you know, it's good about, first of all, I love working with Shaq. He's a good guy. But he can't let anything go. But like he don't realize, like, Dan, I'm 56 years old. When somebody insults me, I just laugh about it. He can't let anything go. And I'm hoping at some point he gets to the point like, yeah, hey, man, you're one of the greatest to ever do it. You don't have to, uh, I think they call it a clap back. You know, I don't do any social media, but you don't have to clap back every time somebody says something about you. So, first of all, that becomes a full time job. Dame Leonard is a start. He's in his, it's his time now. So, Shaq needs to step back and start dealing with these young kids, plain and simple. Our job, you know, one of my good friends is a guy named Jason, uh, Whit- Jason Whitlock, who I like. He says, our job. You know, he, made, he, he, he called me. He said, apologize when I said I want to punch Draymond Green in the face. And I didn't want to punch him in the face. But he sent me a text. you yeah, man, our job is to promote the game, not get into it with the players. And I said, you know what, Jason, you are correct. So I apologize. Even though I didn't want to punch Draymond in the face, that's not my job to put, say, get on TV and say I want to punch this guy in the face. My job is to help the NBA. And Shaq got to learn that plain and simple.
2: It was good TV, though, when you said you wanted to punch Dr- Draymond in the face.
4: <laughs> and, 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 and listen, I admit it, I wanted to punch him in the face, but then, that goes back to this her Kong thing. We don't get to say everything we want to on television. Like, I work for a network. Uh, you know, we don't get to say whatever we want to, but we can say, say some things. But you don't get to say, like, Dan Amari, you don't get to say what he want to. Like, we got a business uh, deal with China, and I hear all these punk ass politicians chiming in. They can't solve our own problems in America, and they want us to hold up our office and pound on And they stuck at their job. But we don't get to say what we want to, because uh, we all work for somebody else. Like I said. Was great TV, and I admitted it. I want to punch Raymond in the face, but you know what? <laughs> I would I technically work for the NBA. My job is to promote the game, and uh, I was wrong in that effort. I was wrong I said, I like Raymond a lot as a person. He's a good basketball player, and even though he makes me mad at times, he up The guy has never committed a foul in his life, <laughs> but it's not my job to get on TV and say I want to punch him in the face. I was wrong then.
2: How's your golf game?
4: I'm playing than I played in the last 20 years, Dan. Uh I want you to quit backing me. Hey, listen, stop being a coward. Chuck, bring you guys out to Arizona. Come on out one week. Do your whole show from Arizona when it's cold as hell on the East Coast. Come to Arizona and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you do a show from my house. Uh, we'll do a show in my backyard. It'll be seven degrees in the middle of the winter. Come on out to Arizona. You, you, you know the nurse would love to get out of Connecticut for when cold as <laughs> you know, in the middle of the winter. Come on out to Arizona. We're seven degrees every day. We'll do the show from my backyard on my putting green, or uh, we can do it in my tennis court if you want to do it. We'll drink all day. I got uh, I bring all the alcohol, and we'll have a blast for a couple hours.
2: Is there a basketball court for me?
4: I got a basketball court and a tennis court in my backyard.
2: Yeah, I don't care about tennis, but basketball, I'll steal your money.
4: Hey, but listen, Dan, uh, let me tell you something. I'll play you anytime, anywhere. A shooting contest? Yeah, Dan. Dan, you're not, listen, you, should, you were a good player back in your day. It's not your day anymore. <laughs> Okay,
2: I, I'm I'm going to, the Dan Entz and I are going to huddle as we, uh, you know, we, we, we take a commercial break here, and uh, we'll figure out when we can come out there and see you. Hey,
4: come on, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you stay in my guest house. Whoa, okay, all right. you just stay in the guest house. I, now, they got to stay in a hotel. <laughs> I don't like people staying in my big house. I'll let you stay in my guest house in the backyard. All right, all
2: right. Hey, is, uh, how big is the big house, by the way?
4: I support, I think, like 20,000 square feet, something like that. <laughs> man, i got big fans. I need a lot of space. All
2: right. Uh, hey, great to talk to you as always. And, uh, hey,
4: man, hey, man, listen, thanks for having me. Uh, you guys keep up the great work, and it's good talking to you.
2: Thank you, bud. That's Charles Barkley, Hall of Famer, TNT inside the NBA studio analyst. I don't know. Football season
0: is here, and it's time to dominate the competition with your fantasy picks. And R.J. Bell's Dream Preview on Podcast One Sportsnet is your secret weapon to victory.
3: I said the fact they didn't run enough in week one tells me this guy is so confident he wants to
0: hide his strength. No matter the matchup, R.J.'s got you handled with top-notch analysis for the best NFL picks around. Now, is that true or not? I don't know very optimistic. Download R.J. Bell's Dream Preview every week on Apple Podcasts and PodcastOne.com 5-Hour Energy
1: helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life.